Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. I'm Simon. And I am Haney. We are Native in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 162, recorded on October the 27th, 2021. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on nativeintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. We have a lot of news today. And before we're going to go into the news, Simon is trying to figure out what community is. Um, <laughs> he's been at this for a while, so I'm very curious to hear what he's come up with by now. But we will be touching on the Power BI October desktop update, as always. There is uh, some new things in Intune, as always. There is a new blog on Synapse, which is absolutely awesome. And there are apparently some new things with AKS, so the Kubernetes service and other stuff that neither Simon and I understand, but we're going to hand that off to someone who does, Haney. So, Simon, I thought we'd had this discussion more than once. So we are actually back to what is community. Could could you kind of take it from there? I, I feel that like when we for once have someone reaching out to us, giving us first positive feedback, and then you talk a lot about community and community work. What is that exactly? That's Michael's question. What is community for you? Is it speaking on a stage? Is it sharing knowledge, blogs or webcasts? And how can or should people contribute? Damn, that's yeah. a great question. Exactly. Yeah, Michael is actually a very brilliant person. So he usually asks good questions. And and that made me think, because I think that, especially when, when we started this MVP adventure that we are all on still... Uh, <laughs> I don't know how, but... Uh, the room is spinning. Yeah, Haney has actually not been there for so long, so I'm not surprised because you actually I'm know I'm totally something. fine still. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You have not been assimilated just yet. Yeah, I'm a little more worried about the two of you, but... <laughs> well, There's actually a lot of people being worried about us, but nobody seems exactly. to really care when push comes to shove, so yeah. <laughs> so... What is it really? And when are things not community work? Because that's an ever ongoing discussion. What is actually something you can count as a contribution towards your MVP title? What is community work that doesn't add up to your MVP? And what is or could be seen as community work, but in my opinion, isn't? And just to make sure, you're mm-hmm. going to be touching on community versus the MVP uh, stuff that you put in, the community, what is it called, the the MVP? Contributions. Contributions, right. And there is not a, a, it's not the same thing, MVP contribution and community work, right? No, there, there can be different things, of course. And I think the contributions, at least since we became part of the program, have broadened. So when we joined, we didn't have any contributions that were mentorship, as an example. But now, if you mentor someone, and that's part of like your product group or whatever you, you work on, that actually counts as a contribution. Uh, but I think it's easier to start with 
can you get paid to do a community contribution? What's your view on that? I think yes. I mean, say that, and I'm I'm just thinking at the same time here. Say say that you're you're creating some kind of event, and mm-hmm. you get some kind of payment for the time you spend on this, either through sponsors or whatever. Yes, in that way, you could definitely get paid for creating something for somebody else. So in a way, that that's community, right? Yeah, and I do think it's it's more about why you get paid and who have to gain from whatever you do. So I do quite a lot of speaking currently for organizations across Sweden and elsewhere as well on on the modern workplace post-COVID. I can do the exact same session. Uh, And one of them can be a community initiative. And the other thing, which is the exact same presentation, is something I do for work. Because it depends on what do I want to achieve. And when I speak at work, I of course, in in practice, in the long run, I want to ensure that my company earns more money. When I speak as a community speaker, I'm there since I actually care about the people that are listening. I can say the exact same thing, but I do not care if they buy something or do something from me or someone else. That's not that has nothing to do with it. So I think it's about the reason why you're there, what you want to achieve by being there. Uh, and of course, we, we spoke about that when we had our um, previous community discussions as well, that you can, of course, be there for very selfish reasons. Like, I love to stand on a stage. I love to travel. And I also love sharing things with the community. It doesn't Will you make be, it... be touching on the kind of a hot potato with paid events and speakers yeah. getting paid or not. Is, is that going to be part of this as well? Yeah, ex- exactly. Because okay. I, I do also think that, and I know that we have disagreed in, in some aspects previously, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I do think that if if I'm a community speaker at a paid event, it, it still does count. Because what are you paying for? You're paying to ensure that the speakers don't have to pay out of their own pocket to get there. You're paying to ensure that you get a somewhere to be. And if you have a large conference, it, it's actually costing. So it's, I would say that most community events need to have a cost to ensure that it doesn't fall on people from a community point of view. Now, I think we all at some point have paid ourselves to go to a user group or a conference because we kind of like to do that and and we want to be part of something that that matters to us. But I do know that some people separates that. So if the event isn't free, it's seen as less of a community event because it's preventing some individuals from attending. But for me, it's it's mostly about why are you there? What's your intention of being there speaking? Um, and it, it's it's blurry, especially if you have roles like many of us have, where part of our job is actually being, and I still hate the word influencer, but that's what we do. Um, so I think that that's still 
something I struggle with. But to me, it's more about, can I honestly say that I'm here for the better for the community? And if I am, I usually count that as a contribution. We also have had dialogues since both myself and Alexander um, used to work for Pluralsight. And, and we had a discussion, is that a community contribution? But in the end, and after speaking to others in the community, uh, the result were no, it isn't. Because we actually get paid to do that. Um, we can be unbiased. And, and we can do it because we want to share something in a good way. But it's still a paid service, and we get paid for every time someone consumes it. So it's, in practice, a job. Could I but the, just yeah. toss in a curveball? Mm-hmm. So take, and I'm just taking an example, yeah. uh, the Nordic Infrastructure Conference, or the Nordic... Um, I just lost the name. The Nordic Developer Conference. Mm-hmm. They 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 are nothing to do with each other. Nothing at all. Oh. And I am just using them as examples. Mm-hmm. So they are paid conferences. Yeah. They are not paying their speakers. Nope. So we are paid for travel and lodging for yep. the most part. But not if you're local. Mm-hmm. Then you're not getting a dime. But still, they are charging for the event. And mm-hmm. they are... They're making money off the event. What's your view on on that? Yeah, and I think that's where it gets complicated. Because if they actually earn money out of it, I think it's challenging. And I think that we, over time, will see a difference there. But at the same time, if you flip it around, if you wouldn't... If someone weren't earning money, would they still arrange the conference? And if we were to get paid to speak there, would it then be community? Or would it actually be a paid, uh, like basically a paid assignment? Because there are people who get enormous amounts of money to speak on stages, even in our community. And I think it's, you need to find a balance uh, and, and it should be something where you are valued as a speaker. And I've always thought that, especially since uh, since I've spoken at NIC and, and not at the NDC, I always felt very welcomed at NIC. They, they value their speakers. And I think that's the, the important aspect. But I do think it's a challenging question. Absolutely. But at the same time, yeah, the benefit, the benefit, in my view, is bigger for the community. If you couldn't gather the same amount of people having the same kind of community feeling, if there weren't a financial initiate reason for for the company that arranges it to do so. No, and I I, I agree completely. Um, I yeah. the more I look at the community and the way that the community is structured when it comes to events. The more mm-hmm. I think that we've kind of painted ourselves into a corner. Yeah. Because if people were not willing to spend a lot of time and a lot of money from basically out of pocket to do mm-hmm. these things, we would not have the community. Mm-hmm. But it also means that it is extremely difficult to get in. And yeah. so many people just can't take the time or or the money to do this. So yeah. Eh, 
as you said, it's it's extremely complicated. And in many ways, I think we kind of made this issue, uh, we, we, we turned this on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, the way out is not an easy one either. But yep. interesting dis- discussions. Yeah. So we, we all do different things. And, and I would, I think we said so when we had our discussions this summer as well, that whoever is listening to this and are thinking, what is community work? How can I contribute? Like the different things I've done as I see as community work would be product group feedback. That's what I value the absolute most. I think that's that's the one of the absolute biggest advantages of being an MVP, that you actually can see things happening that you've been part of designing or giving feedback on. Uh, mentoring, something I used to do uh, for various reasons. I'm not doing it as much now, which is something I miss because it's fantastic to see how people can grow if they just get the encouragement and, and start to realize how fantastic they are. And that's that in turn builds the community. We need to start somewhere. Like you say, we at this point, we are not getting a very diverse group of speakers. It's usually people that can afford going away for a couple of days to speak at conferences. And that means that a lot of fantastic, brilliant people won't be part of that community. And I think that's one of the benefits of COVID, that now anyone that had a microphone could be part of the community in a completely different way. You can also argue that this podcast is this community work. Because what what do we in practice do? We sit here watching each other and talking about what we love the most. It's fun. But it's also actually valuable, or at least we think so, for our listeners. <laughs> so they can learn something. They can get inspiration. So I definitely feel that this is community because we also encourage others to try other things. Social but media. you didn't always think that. No, no. In the beginning, I did not. No, really? And I think, Why? Because we didn't. That, that's such an interesting discussion in and of itself, uh, actually. And, and it, in in many ways, it is this exact discussion in a microcosm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I thought from the beginning that we weren't adding enough value, and it could also mm-hmm. be that it was too much fun. Like, <laughs> community work cannot be fun. Is that what exactly. you're saying? <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think that we we had very high expectations on ourselves as well. I don't I don't know when we actually decided that okay, we are actually doing this rather well. Probably episode one hundred and fifty nine or something like that. So Simon, did you actually watch the uh, first attempt at video we made? <laughs> yes, yes, I have seen it. I, I think somewhere it. around there, we just said it and just went for it. Yeah, but I've also listened to our first podcast and that is equally hilarious like it, it's fantastic and um yeah we'll, we'll go back memory lane some other time uh, but they can also be non-tech related like i think that whatever you do to either support a community or being a role model for the community mm-hmm. makes you part of the community and a contributor it's equally important to be if you're really good at Microsoft Intune or Microsoft Endpoint Manager, and you are seen doing good things for 
the environment or for diversity or, or something like that, I think that's equally important. So the takeaways from this is that community work have various shapes and forms. The main like difference between community work and influencing people because of your job is in it's not as easy as you get paid or not it's why you do every single bit you do it doesn't ma- it doesn't mean that we don't in some way or shape or form have something to gain for our actual jobs by being community speaker of course that plays a role in it we wouldn't be as successful i i dare to say without community but it also shows that we are actually kind of cool people <laughs> so can i can i quote that <laughs> yeah I, I have a hundred t-shirts with that quote on already so really <laughs> we're kind of cool people <laughs> i think i would actually do that priceless yeah. priceless oh don't you had to haney community work can take many shapes and forms it's what you feel is community work that's essential and that someone only one single individual other than yourself have something to gain from it i don't know if that answers michael's question i'm sure that i will get that feedback from him but it's it's a complicated subject and i think it's getting like you said alexander more and more complicated now when titles what we do and so on have a bigger and bigger impact on our actual job than it had before yeah i think it's also important to remember that there's quite many people out there who are actually contributing to the community who might not be mvps are arranging user groups are Mm -hmm. giving feedback to documentation writing blogs etc there are many things that people are doing and it's not necessarily just speaking or i don't think not even anyone everyone needs to want to become an mvp you can still oh. have a huge impact and like benefit many professionals out there absolutely that's that's a very good very good point i mean if 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 you just remember one thing not everybody needs or should become an mvp um it it really has nothing to do with your ability to be a good member of the community. And and it doesn't either necessarily shows how skilled or unskilled you are with technology. There are a lot of people who some people that in my opinion should be MVPs that aren't. There are people that are MVPs that in my opinion may not be what I see as MVPs. Uh, and there are people that really don't care about the title. They just want to be part of the community. And I think the open source community is is a great example of that. There are tons of individuals that do really cool things with open source software. And the what they get out of that is seeing others using their code, using their products, using their frameworks. And that to them in many cases, is more than enough. Yep, and I'm sure we can go down this hole for days because it is it is such a multifaceted discussion. Yeah. And 
I'm, I'm sure that as soon as you get one question, you you're try to answer that, it's going to spawn six new questions. And then, well, we're off to the races. So yeah. should we should we shelf this for now and look at the yeah. news and see what Michael says in the next Absolutely. Time? All right. So I'll start because I just put this in the first. So Power BI <laughs> has a new update, right? The Power BI October update. Uh, I know that it's October 27th, but we didn't get this in. And there are a few things that I just want to mention. There are updates to the direct query to a Power BI dataset and um, analysis services updates. So previously, when I, I connected to analysis services, I had to bring in all the tables, all or nothing. Now I can choose which tables I or, or models I want to use. It doesn't sound like much, but it's a pretty big change. And they're working on the this this part so much because it will definitely be the the main thing that you can do with service BI and then combine BI and all that stuff. We have a new Azure Maps heat maps layer, kind of neat, and they're transitioning towards the Azure Maps and away from the Bing Maps, which is kind of interesting in itself. I'll I'll deep dive a bit into into maps in a an upcoming episode, I think. There is a cloud sustainability dashboard, and this pretty much shows you the the emissions impacts of cloud. I know that other cloud vendors have already made things like this, but now Microsoft has done the same with Azure stuff. Kind of neat. Speaking of kind of neat, there was a small uh, DDoS the other day. It was just 2.3 terabytes. Nah, no biggie. That's the thing. Azure just kept on ticking. That's kind of cool. So, oh no, what's new in Intune again? <laughs> Come on, you you know you love it. You just don't say it. Yep. So, <laughs> at at some point, we really need to stream these recordings. No, we don't. No, we don't. What has been seen cannot be unseen. So no. <laughs> So, um, what's new in Intune? We um, keep seeing new apps being added as protected apps for Intune, and I think we we are seeing more and more third-party apps getting added, which I think is fantastic because that gives us much more flexibility, and it also shows that there are actually sensitive data outside of the Microsoft apps as well. So we have a, a number of different apps getting added, and I think it's new ones every other week now. We um, also got support for, you know, there's a challenge with the way you manage Android devices today, since it's dependent on the Google services. So if you don't have access to the Google services, or if a vendor of Android decides that we don't want to be part of that, we want to use Android, but we don't want to use the Google services because there are those brands. Uh, Intune now supports the um, Android open source project platform. So where you get similar capabilities of managing Android devices without having access to the Google framework. Uh, And I think that's a a rather surprising move for Microsoft to support that. I do think it's a very good move because it opens up for other vendors and other 
Android-based devices. Uh, so you can now do both user-associated devices and shared devices. So they are very much aimed for work use only. And currently it supports realware hardware, but I'm not surprised if that will be extended to other platforms. And it also probably would be very or will be very useful for the Chinese market since the Google services aren't available there. So many of my customers that have uh, offices and such in China have a very hard time managing those devices because of the Google services being blocked. We also have uh, new ways of managing updates for multi-session Windows 10 images, so Azure Virtual Desktop, uh, and some new features in terms of how you target your links to protected or unprotected browsers on an iOS device. Since you, in many cases, want internal links to open inside of a protected app, but some scenarios requires the use of Safari. And with the settings that you can configure with Intune up until last week, that was really complicated to to work with. Now you will be able to do universal links using app protection policies, which will basically allow you to point certain links to certain browsers, which is fantastic. And since we're speaking about the interesting stuff now, let's also continue with the technical preview in Config Manager. But I will actually only mention one thing, uh, and it's that you can now, since a while back, you can get the native Windows update experience for Windows. So even if you manage uh, your Windows devices with Config Manager, you can get the built-in dialogues instead of having Config Manager's own dialogues. But that meant that some users felt, okay, is this a real patch or not? So now you can actually brand the native elements in Windows with your company logos and such. So that creates, in again, my opinion, a very good balance between something a user would recognize, but also where they feel comfortable in it's actually something that my IT department is doing and it's not someone trying to trick me into pushing a button. So go update. Interesting. Um, should we touch on macOS Monterey? Yeah, uh, we can touch on that briefly. We can also talk about the ridiculous price <laughs> for the new MacBooks. They, they, apart from a certain notch, they do look fantastic, and the performance seems mind blowing. Uh, I've, I'm working with a couple of Mac projects now where I have Intel and Apple Silicon-based Macs side-by-side. And the Intel ones is just embarrassingly slow. Like, the M1s are absolutely remarkable. Uh, Monterey uh, adds some interesting features, such as the ability to use iCloud passwords within Microsoft Edge. So you can use your keychain within Edge, which I think is a quite, again, surprising step by Apple, but certainly in the right direction. And I think that will only benefit the use of iCloud, which we can argue long and hard about <laughs> inside of a corporate environment. Uh, let's just say that GDPR doesn't play well with iCloud. 
Uh, we also get new privacy features. <laughs> and this is quite interesting. I assume that both of you use Microsoft Authenticator or similar Authenticator apps. Sure. And, and one of the reasons of having them in your phone is that you get a second factor. You need to have your phone and possibly a second device. Now, Apple will be introducing a built-in authenticator in macOS Monterey. And I think that kind of defeats the purpose. I, I wonder how that actually will play out. So I'm, I'm looking forward to trying it, but it feels a bit backwards. Doing I, it like I just that. had this horrible idea of a YubiKey as an app. Yeah, but, yeah, but exactly. Yeah, but and, and that's that's basically <laughs> what Bankide and Freya is. <laughs> it's it's not really a big difference. But having that inside of the same machine, and and you can argue that yeah, I use my Authenticator app to authenticate two things on my phone as well. But it's a quite interesting proposal, so we'll see. But it's it's a lot of investment into privacy, a lot of investments into security and manageability. They're getting their stuff together uh, with this release after having argued internally, I would assume, between Catalina and Big Sur. All right. So one of the things that you always hear me talk about in every episode almost every episode is what's new in, in power bi and that there has been some new updates and the updates are, are rolling out every month and they are rolled out to this fantastic easy to find easy to read blog and one of the first things that we can conclude after a lot of the power bi people moved over to the synapse part of town is that they kind of brought with them so many really smart things one of these is the Azure Synapse Analytics blogs. So they now have an Azure Synapse Analytics October update on their blog. So there's um, a number of updates and every time there's gonna be a new update, there's gonna be some kind of blog posting. And I think they're gonna do this uh, monthly. And this is just fantastic because Synapse at the best of days is a bit of a mess. Try to figure out what's in and, and what's not and where do I find information about this. Having everything in one blog, I think, is great. And Haney, please blow our minds. Well, uh, as usual, I'm going to talk about some networking stuff. And today I also get to talk about Azure Kubernetes service. So that's really exciting. So about two, three episodes ago, we talked about... Uh, network security group and user-defined root support coming into private links. And back then we were kind of wondering, like, at this moment it was only available in the US in uh, several different regions. But now that uh, list of uh, supported regions has extended quite a bit, actually. It has more than doubled. And we have also gotten this to Europe. So we have North Europe and France Central included and several other regions as well. So it's not just Europe, but all over the globe. So it's clearly going out, and I think we're going to see it just expanding more and more in the future. So that's really exciting. Am, am I the only one who's quite interested in how they show those regions? Because it's usually Western yes. Europe that gets it. 
Exactly. So, like, <laughs> I I was a bit wondering about that as well, but I mm -hmm. I reread the list like two or three times just to <laughs> make sure I misread, but no, it said North Europe. Yeah, and, and so, France. Yes, it's interesting. Maybe yeah. there's like all the cool workloads are in those. <laughs> or, or it's their <laughs> test environments. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded bad. <laughs> well, best prod. Yes. And then you just flip it over to West Europe when everything's done in North. So what you're saying is that France is the dev branch? Yeah. Okay. It makes a lot so, of sense, though. Exactly. So many things falls into place. All right. Let's move into <laughs> Kubernetes then. <laughs> so um, this month, there was a whole set of new features coming into public preview with AKS, so Azure Kubernetes Service. And I just pick and chose a few of them because there was actually quite a list of them. So first up, we've got the new Kubernetes version in AKS, so Kubernetes 1.22. And that includes all the new features that are in that Kubernetes version. So there's, for example, um, this pod security admission feature and the API server tracing feature as well, and so on and so forth. So many, many features. You can check out the Kubernetes site to find the full list. And of course, you'll then need to ensure that if you're using AKS, you're doing the upgrades in whatever way you're handling those. Then there is also another uh, feature regarding updates in the future. So the way the controller manager will be updated will be changing and the Azure controller manager will move out of the core Kubernetes code base. And what that means is that the AKS team will actually be able to update that controller manager outside of the update cycle of Kubernetes code base itself. So for example, once Microsoft and the AKS team get feedback on something not working or anything like that, they can build in the new features kind of more immediately and not have to wait for the next release cycle. So we'll see kind of how that actually starts to work. It'll be interesting to see uh, how, how that proceeds. Then we have uh, some networking features. So uh, within AKS, you can use the Kubernetes networking pl network plugin and for that there is now the dual stack available so ipv4 and ipv6 support side by side and then also when you're creating your aks cluster you're able to uh, set settings for an https proxy that you might have in your environment to set up uh, internet connectivity so quite many new features and so you can see the service is really evolving and getting better and better I'm curious about that. I mean, everything is is moving very fast in Azure. We know that, but I kind of get the feeling that they're really homing in on the Kubernetes stuff, and they're working very, very hard on the Kubernetes stuff. How how long generally are these in preview before they get rolled into into main? Don't ask such hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. It's there. It's there as long as the French population have issues with it. <laughs> yes, maybe not. But <laughs> I, 
I don't exactly have good knowledge about that. So it it depends a bit. But it has, in general, it has been so that these come in quite soon. I haven't seen features that keep on being in preview for months and months and months and years and so forth. So quite quite swiftly. Quite swiftly, yeah, because I, I saw an interesting discussion the other day on Twitter regarding how Microsoft does preview stuff. Mm-hmm. And there are a few, shall we say, black sheep <clears throat> blueprints um, <laughs> that we really don't know where it is. Is it in limbo? Is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? It's been in preview for years. So mm-hmm. it is difficult to figure out what this preview means. Um, when it comes to a direction for Microsoft. So that's that's why I was curious about Kubernetes services. Yeah. Could we at some point just have a focus segment where people yes. like myself can understand this container thing? I have a children's book on containers. <laughs> oh, really? I, yeah, 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 absolutely. Cool. It, it's fantastic. It's our old friend who shares my name who now works for Canonical. That's quite... Hmm. We need to speak to him. But a focus segment on containers and Kubernetes and how are all containers Kubernetes or are Kubernetes all containers? So so I want to add to that because A, I want to have a technical understanding, deeper mm-hmm. technical understanding than, than I have. But what I would love to have is an example of how are containers really used because yeah. I'm kind of getting lost into what you can do, but not what does people do. And Haney is yeah. now very, very happily nodding her head. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That Our company works a lot with AKS projects, so I might know something about this topic. Oh, I don't doubt it. But Haney, there is a final news item that I, I, I've read a few times now, and I'm really, really interested about the IP-based website protection for Azure Static Web Apps. Yes, so Azure Static Web Apps, it's still quite a recent addition to the services in Azure, but I think it's been getting quite a bit of traction already with people hosting their block sites on their any static web apps that you might have. And the issue with it has been that you don't have much of control over it. And from my perspective, especially on the networking side and kind of security aspects. So these Luckily, these features are coming along quite quite nicely and they have been added consistently. And the latest addition here is to have IP-based protection there uh, for network traffic. So for example, you could have an internal application and only allow traffic from your public IP address and that's all. But I think actually the more interesting feature, well, not more interesting. But the other interesting feature here is that you can also assign these uh, rules to Azure service tags. So that means that, for example, you could have Azure front door in front of an Azure uh, static web app and limit the traffic to traffic coming from Azure front door with a service tag. So that way you are able to add some protection in front of the static web app, which you wouldn't kind of you couldn't do it efficiently before whereas you would still leave it open on the other side i I just got a very very odd idea 
Mm-hmm. I would love to see that the Azure Marketplace behaved more like any online store. Oh, I see that you want to configure a static web app. Would you like some front door with that? Yeah. I think that actually would make a ton of sense for a lot of organizations that you're now doing this. We advise you to also use this service in this way. I think you would Did get you just quite... invoke Azure Clippy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I yeah. With more I would love to have a personal clippy shopper. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> there you have the name for this episode. Clippy. Oh god. Personal clippy shopper. Yeah. I like that. That's my new no, penguin name. When when we're talking about the the static web apps, we're running static web apps for Needy Tech and I'm running it for my own my own blog. And what I think is so cool with this is that it in integrates so well with Azure DNS. Take for instance, mm-hmm. how do you how do you connect a wildcard domain to a C name? Well, you can't. But if you have control over the DNS, then it can actually instead of giving going to a, a an IP address, it can be connected to the static web app. So you're you're using the DNS inside of Azure to solve something that you can't solve if you were outside of Azure for, for this specific scenario. So I love it. It is fantastic. It's saving me a ton of money and it is fast as heck. Yeah, it is. So I, I've heard it on, well, I, I have it in good authority that any year now, Haney will be putting her blog online. Oh no. <laughs> and when she does, I think it just might be a static web app. Sorry for putting you on the spot there. Oh, damn it. No, I actually have to get onto it. I, I'd said that but, any year now. Exactly. But you, should, I, like, you could do it as um, my friend Barry Combs from Computer World Group. He, um, because he, he does doodles as well. That's oh, his really? Blog. He doodles every single event and then post his doodle. Uh, yeah. And he's fantastic at cool. doing that so he's been featured at several conferences where he basically doodles whatever they say during their keynote and then people actually understand what they say um so you should awesome. look into what he's doing because i think you can really inspire each other and yeah. that would mean that you can do exactly what you love to do and mm-hmm. just post that yeah i was wondering about that like will it work to do just doodles in blog posts like is that a thing normally there are words but, no why yeah i don't know one dude one doodle says more than a thousand words that is so true i agree you're just coming up with these yeah no bad simon <laughs> so we are as always coming to the end of, of an episode i just want to mention that there are a few events coming up um not necessarily before we record the next episode i think your your avd tech fest is going to be on the 18th of november simon yes correct haney has managed to worm her way into the data weekender bus it's a lot of people in that pretty small bus <laughs> um, i didn't fit this time well I'll sh- i'm i'm hoping you might save me a seat for next time mm-hmm. 
And the both of us, Haney and I, are going to do a Pass Data Community Summit on November the 8th through 12th. Uh, that's the spiritual successor, if you will, to the Pass Summit. Um, and, ah, so Ooh. you just got the box, Haney. Yes, uh, I had to run to the door uh, when it buzzed to fetch a box <laughs> from Pass Summit. So, yep. good timing. Good timing indeed. And I think that's actually all we have time for. Do you want to sneak something more in in the last couple of minutes or last minutes before we sign off for today? I'll take the deafening silence as a, nope, we're done. So as always, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you back in a week or two. Take care. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Need Even Tech. Need Even Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Heini Hilmaninen. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at needeventech.com. <laughs>